you might have missed it this morning, but on the front row, we had a few children sitting up here. As David kept on pulling toys out of the boxes, their, their excitement was visible um, as they were just excited about seeing dolls and, uh, and balls come out of that box. And, you know, I thought to myself, uh, the Operation Christmas Child that we get to do every year and sowing those gifts into children's lives around the world, we actually don't get to see that piece except for via video. You know, we get to see that children open up these boxes, but we've seen enough children to know that when they open up a box like that that is really theirs, and for some children... They don't get a lot that is theirs. When they're given that box, it will be life-giving to them. It will be joy and hope to them. And then they'll find the message of Christ inside. Well, guys, we'll turn around tomorrow, and we'll be in November, and we'll be packing these boxes. So uh, we, we like to give you these opportunities to sow into the lives of others. So don't miss out on this opportunity. Gretchen Conus is doing a wonderful job at getting us ready for Operation Christmas Child um, during the months of the last few days of September and October, and even in the early, first early days of November, help us really do this well. Hey, if you've got your uh, worship guide in front of you, matter of fact, I wonder if you need it. Anybody need worship guides? You need some? You do? We got somebody passing out worship guides this morning. I don't know where they are. Hopefully, they're coming your way. You, you, if you keep your hands raised, they'll come your way. There they go. Um, I want to get you to just uh, notice a couple things. Inside your worship guide, there'll be a message outline. Take that and put that off to the side for just right now, and you'll also find a ticket inside, an orange ticket that says Noah Cleveland. Next Sunday night, we're having a, an artist who has been with us here, even led worship for us here at Harvest Point. Noah Cleveland is launching a brand new CD called Church With No Walls, or the Church Without Walls? is what's, what's it called? I think it's Church With No Walls, Church With No Walls. And um, it's going to be an evening where we're going to get some, hear, to hear some of his brand new music. Uh, we're going to get to support his ministry, but maybe mo- even more important than that, listen, we're going to get a chance to invite some folks with us to come to church. You know, uh, some folks, and a moment like this where there's an artist or where there's a different evening, that's their moment that they'll, they'll actually accept your invitation. Hey, come and go to a concert with me. So we're putting these tickets in your hand because we want you to give it away. Give it away to a coworker. Give it away to a family member. Invite them to come and join you. We want to pack this place on next Sunday night. Now, you'll notice the doors open at 5. Concert starts at 6. I know it's a Sunday night. In an hour and a half, the concert will be open. over. So by 7.30, uh, those of us who have children will already be heading home, okay? Don't miss out on this wonderful moment for us to reach out to others. We have some more events planned this fall. We're going to be reaching out to others, but this is one of the very first ones, and don't want you to miss this opportunity. Well, Hopefully you've got your Bible. Now grab that Bible or maybe that iPad, that that smartphone. We're going to study God's Word together. Hopefully you've got a pen. You've got that outline in front of you. Uh, We've been in a series called uh, True Spirituality, and we've been studying Romans chapter 12 together. Now today, notice that sermon title, Overcoming the Evil That is Aimed at You. If it's okay today, hey, nod your head with me when when I say this, okay? Get ready. If it's okay today, I'm going to take you to a place you might not want to go, but it'll be worth it. Are you willing to go with me? Nod your head, all right? There you go. It may not be the most comfortable place because today we're going to talk about people who've done us wrong, and today we're going to talk about people who have hurt us and what Jesus wants us to do about it and how we're supposed to respond when a personal attack comes our way. And so uh, here's what I need you to do. If you're going to get the most you can out of the word that we're going to study this morning, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to think about the person who's hurt you the most. I need you to think of a name or a face or a moment in your past 
for what you would consider is the person who has wounded you the deepest or hurt you the most. It might have been the person who humiliated you. It might have been the person who walked out on you. It might have been the person who stole money from you. It might have been the person who physically or sexually abused you. It might be a person who who spoke terrible things to you that went in your ears and you thought to yourself, I will never forget those things. It might have been any number of those things. Who is the person who's wounded you the most? And see, here's the deal. Every one of us here have have a person who has wounded us the most. And today we're going to talk about how we are supposed to deal with evil. Now, one time Jesus was teaching, master teacher, right? Jesus was, when he taught, he was opening up the kingdom of heaven to people on this planet, and his words are still written on the pages today. And I want to read to you, as we, even as we begin, before we even dive into Romans chapter 12, I want to read some words from Jesus that are right out of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the great, probably the greatest sermon that's ever preached. Jesus is talking to people, and I want you to hear these words, and I want you to picture people just like yourselves listening to these words, and maybe they had been hurt, but maybe they had been hurt even worse than we had. Maybe some of them had had, had a family member killed because of their faith, or maybe they had been imprisoned, or they, maybe they'd been made a slave, or maybe they had, they had been wounded deeply. And watch what Jesus says. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, why would Jesus even say that? Because that was kind of the common thing that day. People said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. By the way, guys, I just want to pause for a minute and say that's radical. That is, many of us have heard this before. We've heard Jesus has said that before. But if you were hearing that for the very first time, that would be so radical, it would almost seem ridiculous and it would almost seem impossible and it would seem countercultural. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be like your Father in heaven, this is the way you have to act. You have to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, watch what he says. He says, Uh, The father, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? If you got your pen, you might want to circle that word reward, all right? Reward. If you love those who, who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And so here's what I want you to get from the very beginning. Those people that have hurt us the most, if we can really get and squeeze all the stuff out of the biblical text we're going to study today, and if we can do the God thing that he would want us to do with that, Jesus is telling us when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount that if you can get to a place of loving those who have hurt you and your enemies, if you can get to a place of praying for those who persecuted, there's a reward there. If you can get to that place, God will reward you. Now let me back up for a minute. I want to do a real quick review because this is my last week on Romans chapter 12. As we're closing out the series today, I want to just remind you of what we've been talking about. Romans chapter 12 is a picture of what it means to be a Christ follower. We've talked about five relationships. Our relationship with God is surrendered. Our relationship with the world, we are to be separate from the world. Our relationship with ourselves, we are to be sober in our self-assessment, right? Not too high, not too low. Our relationship with other believers, we're supposed to be serving in love, doing the one one another's of the New Testament. And then today we're going to be talking about supernaturally responding to evil. How do we live with unbelievers or those who are our enemies? How do we live with them supernaturally responding to evil? 
Now, let me just remind you of a few things. You got your pen? Just number one, real quick review of Romans chapter 12. And, and the thing I've written down there is becoming a Romans 12 Christian is not hard. It's not difficult. Write this down for me, if you will. It is impossible. All right? Would you say that word out loud with me? Say impossible. Impossible. Because I want you to think to yourself, Romans 12 is actually living out and becoming a Romans 12. That's, that's just impossible. Here's why I want you to think that way. I want you to think that way because if you don't think that way, you'll try to do it. And most of the time, you're going to do it on your own strength, all right? You'll try in your flesh and you'll say, okay, Stephen laid out a five-point plan. And if I can live by the, I'm going to one, two, three, four, five. And I'm going to, and you'll think to yourself that, that that's the way you'll operate. And you'll make it so, so that it's about kind of a point list a checklist and if you if i can do this now i'm right right and and really all you'll be is a pharisee because you'll be just going through a checklist and trying to do it all right listen you need to almost think to yourself this thing is impossible but if i can have the spirit of god helping me in these moments with all these different relationships i can do the impossible because jesus would be doing it for me remember what i've said as true spirituality is simply this it's it's, it's simply this jesus living his life through us. Jesus actually driving my car, not me driving my car. Jesus talking to my coworkers when I get mad, you know, and him saying his words, not the words I want to say, right? Jesus living his life through me. This is what it's about. And we have got to understand that it's not a checklist. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and fill in the next one, all right? Well, here's another thing I've said to you over and over again. This Romans 12 life is about relationships, Write that down. It's about relationships. It's not about the rules. It's not about the checklist. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's not about following through with a, a five-point plan. It is about relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with the world, ourself, believers and non-believers. It's about relationship because at the heart of Christianity, it will always be about relationship. And then look at this third one. The heart of Romans chapter 12 is all about love. It is all about love. And I don't know if you've even grasped that, if I've been journeying through Romans 12. But what did we say? The first one is our relationship with God. We're supposed to live in this love relationship with him. We know he's good. We know he's king. And so we will surrender our lives to him out of love for what he has done for us. Our relationship with the world, we, what, did we, what did I tell you? The world is competing for your affections. Like, 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 uh, like the, the world was calling to the prodigal and trying to pull the prodigal away from the father. That's what the world is doing. But God has shown us in the picture of Romans 12, we're to be separate. It's just a picture. We're to be separate from the world, back to our father, because that's how you're going to live in the things that God wants you to live in. It's a love relationship. Even ourselves? Stephen, I struggle to love myself. I love everybody else. I have that's what I'm talking about here. When you really learn to love yourself because God only made one of you right and if you could really grasp the beauty of the wonderful thing that God made in you you would begin to live out the dreams the God plans that he's prepared in advance for you to do how about loving other believers we serve them because we love them these are our brothers and our sisters these are our these are the people who are doing the life the God life with us and then finally loving our Enemies, wow, we're closing with a big one this week, right? Loving our enemies and supernaturally returning good for evil. So why is Romans 12 all about love? 
Well, Jesus one time was teaching, and somebody said, hey, Jesus, can you tell me the most important command? I can't, I don't know if I can keep all of them, but I can keep the number one. What is the most important? Remember what Jesus said, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It makes complete sense that all of Romans 12 is around love in these different relationships. So today we're going to talk about um, this thing of when evil is done to us, when personal attacks come our way, when people are wicked to us, they do harm to us, how do we respond? And it's right in Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. We're going to put it up on the screen from the NIV. I'm just going to read right out of Romans 12, 14, 21. And then for the rest of my time, if it's okay, I'm just going to break it down with you, okay? Romans 12, verse 14 through 21. There's a positive command, there's a negative command, and then there's a supernatural result. Positive command first. Bless those who persecute you. You might want to underline those, that word, bless. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Then the negative command. Do not be proud, do not be, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Underline these three words. Do not repay. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, here's the supernatural result, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, we're not, I'll, I'll explain that later on, but it's not that we're going to take their head off, okay? You're going to, if you do this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me just remind you of something real quickly. First time I ever read Romans chapter 12, I was sitting in a foreign country as a, as a 15-year-old kid, a, a youth missionary in France, and I had to memorize this scripture. And I'll tell you, uh, Romans 12, 1, you know, offer your bodies. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed. This stuff was making sense to me. It was life, right? I was like, wow, this is good. I was memorizing this chapter that would become so transformative in my life. And then I got to the end of the chapter. And I got down to this last stuff where the Bible says, do not take revenge. We're going to flesh that out in a little while, okay? But let me just suffice it to say that I didn't know that was in the Bible at that point in my life, all right? I thought it was quite all right if I took revenge. And I thought to myself, wow, God, what, I, he, was, he was shifting, turning the paradigm over for me. But then I got to that point where it said, and if you do it this way, you will heat burning coals in the head. I like that. I was like, wow, I like that idea. Guys, let me tell you what I didn't know. I didn't know. There would be a time a few years later where somebody would do me so wrong, somebody would do evil to me, not once, not twice, not three times, that I tried, I was living in a relationship, not a family relationship, it was actually a work relationship, it was ministry, it was church relationship. I was on a staff on a, in a church with somebody who was doing evil to me over and over and over again. And God wouldn't let me break the relationship, and God made me live out of Romans chapter 12 as I tried to continue to do good to them when they continued to hurt me. And what I want to tell you is if you can grab a hold of what we're going to squeeze out of this thing today, 
you will be able to look backwards into your past, the people who've done harm to you, and you will be able to hear the teaching of Jesus and of Paul, and you will hopefully be able to be like your Father in heaven. Remember Jesus said, you, in so doing, you will be like your Father in heaven. But how about this? What about the future? See, none of us know in the future who's going to hurt us. None of us know in the future who's going to do wrong to us, right? Not one of us. But he gives us this word. He says, learn it today because this is the way. You really want to talk about Jesus living through you when somebody does you wrong? When somebody hurts you, when somebody says something bad about you, when somebody gossips on you, when somebody lies to you, when somebody steals from you, then in that moment, do you know your Jesus well enough that he would live through you, speak through you, and he would be living his life through you? Do you know him that well, and can you do it in that moment? This is big stuff, and it's not just big stuff for me. It's not just big stuff for you. He was writing to people, Romans, who were being put in the Colosseum and being offered to the lions and being killed and slaughtered. And he was saying to them, listen, I want you to bless them. I want you not to take revenge on them. And I want you to let good overcome the evil they've done to you. And in so doing, you'll, you'll heap burning coals. Let's break it down. You ready? Lord, speak to us in this day and let your word be planted in our souls. Got your pen? First thing, positive command. Positive command right out of Romans chapter 12. Uh, Beginning in verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Write that down. Bless those who persecute you. Now, we know the biblical story, right? Jesus was persecuted, and even when he was persecuted and beaten and flogged, he was still blessing people. And so here Paul is writing years later in Romans chapter 12, and he says, basically, let's be like Jesus. Bless those who persecute you. He was basically saying, this is how Jesus lived. Now he wants to live that same way through you. When people do you wrong, he wants to bless others when you are persecuted. Now there's three parts to this, and you'll see that I put them there in your notes. And it's kind of verse by verse there. There's three parts. First part is forgiveness. Second part is identification. Third part is association. So let's start with the hard one, okay? The hard one is just forgiveness, all right? And I don't have all the notes. I didn't write it all out because you're going to have to take some notes this morning, okay? Let's start with, first of all, forgiveness. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Forgiveness. What is that about? If you really are going to ever forgive the people who've done wrong with you, let me tell you where it all starts. Because I think people sometimes get confused about forgiveness. I hear people say, I, I want to forgive them. They did this, 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 but. And there's always a, a big but in the middle of it. And then I can't do it because of this, 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 and that. Or I, I want, you know, there's always some excuses. Listen, forgiveness always starts with one place. And the one place forgiveness starts is we, we have to understand how much we've been forgiven. All right? When you really grasp how you've been forgiven, then you are positioned and in a posture to be able to say, God, because you forgave me, because I did wrong, because I hurt your heart and you, you forgave me, I know that you're calling me to forgive others. Forgiveness done God's way always starts there. You always realize, first of all, how much you've been forgiven. And then here's how forgiveness goes. You might want to write it in the margin of your notes. There are three phases of forgiveness, all right? Three phases of forgiveness. And by the way, this morning, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to be asking you to forgive somebody, all right, who's done you wrong. So really get a hold of this. There's three phases of forgiveness. And the first one is this. Number one, right in the margin right there. Number one, it's a choice. All right? It's a decision. 
And by the way, when we say it's a choice and it's a decision, it's, it's going to be just simply that. There's no emotions tied to it. You can't tie emotions to it. You have to say, okay, I am, I'm making a decision today that I'm going to release this person from what they did to me. And you have to, you have to get rid of the emotion. You have to just understand this is the biblical text. This is the way God says I'm supposed to do it. And today I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to let them go. And I'm going to forgive them. Now, that's the first phase. And is it, it's, you have to just take, take all the emotion Take all the feelings out of it and just follow the biblical model, okay? God says that we're supposed to forgive because we've been forgiven. And so today, listen, how cool is this? Today, whether you feel like it or not, you can actually make a choice. And you can say, I'm going to make a decision today. I'm going to forgive. That's the first step to biblical forgiveness, not feelings. Here's a second step. Second step is what I call a process, all right? And now process is when actually feelings catch up to our decision, all right? So I said, I'm going to forgive this person, right? And, and I'm going to make a decision. And then next week, I'm walking through the mall, and there they are in the store that I want to go in. And what happens, right? You know what happens inside your gut. You go, you know, you get stuff up in the back of your throat like, you know, you want to throw up because you see this person, you don't even like them. But you may, and all of a sudden your feelings come in, you know, you made a decision to let them go, you made a decision, but now your feelings come in, and it's a process, and here's what you got to do in the process, you might want to write next to it, process, number two, process, pray, process, pray, process, pray, and this is going to be a journey, you're going to be living here for a little while, okay, a decision takes one moment in time, you can do that this morning, you can make a decision this morning, that's the first step of forgiveness, but the process is going to be more of a journey. And you're going to have to go through that process. You're going to have to pray through that process. There's going to be probably many times you might be talking to somebody and they say, have you heard about so-and-so? And all of a sudden these bad feelings come back. They come back and try to confront your decision. And you have to go in that moment. You pray. You pray. You pray. Jesus said, what, were, what are we supposed to do again? He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that second step is, you know, when our feelings come back, Choosing to pray for them, even in that moment, because we've already made a decision. Now, I got, a, I got a thought for you here. Have you ever thought about this? When Jesus forgave you, he didn't really feel like forgiving you. You ever thought about that? See, when Jesus was about to die for planet Earth, it, he was not making that decision based on feelings. If he was, he'd have bowed out, all right? You remember the whole garden thing? Remember what happened in the garden? Jesus is praying. He's sweating. He's, he's got blood, literally. I mean, it's like blood, sweat coming off of him. He is he's struggling because he has made a decision to offer himself for the forgiveness of the world. He made a decision, and now the feelings are catching up, okay? And he doesn't feel like it, and he's saying, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, God, your will. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus, in that moment, did not feel like forgiving you? He didn't feel like forgiving the world, that his feelings, his humanity was right dead in his face in that moment. But what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. He prayed, and he lived in that place. And I want to tell you this. Jesus, Jesus knows how we feel in those moments when we don't feel like forgiving. He knows that. He's been there. He's been there. But in that moment that he was there, he still prayed for us 
And he stood on his decision, not on his feelings. I, I said there's three parts to forgiveness. The first one's a choice. The second one's a process. And you're going to live there for a little while. You've got to pray for that person. And the third phase of forgiveness is you just write, write this word, number three, done, forgiven, okay? If you do it God's way, you will make a choice that's, that's independent of your feelings. And then you'll live in that place where you begin to pray for them and pray for them and pray for them and pray for them. And then one day, somebody will come up to you and they'll say, have you heard about so-and-so? And all of a sudden, those bad thoughts, those bad feelings won't be there because you've been praying for them. And you'll realize for the first time, I really have forgiven that person. You'll actually think good thoughts for that person. Forgiveness is, is, is one of the ways we walk into this blessing that God has for them. Now look at that second thing I wrote for you there. That positive command, three parts of that blessing. Identification. Verse 15 says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. So the idea is here that we would actually do something in our hopes and in our plans and even in our actions that would be towards blessing them. Okay? The idea is here that we're not just going to let them go and forgive them, now we're actually going to identify with them. So if they're hurting, we would actually care enough to hurt alongside them. Or if they're rejoicing, it's a good moment in their life. Okay, let's make it practical. Hurting, Stephen. What if, what if, hypothetically, the person that you held in your mind a little while ago, you'd been working to forgive them, you had made a decision, you'd walked through that process, you were trying to forgive them, that's forgiveness. But what if now you wanted to identify with them and you found out, that they had a loved one in the hospital. Would you be willing to identify with them? Would you be able to make a visit in that hospital? Would you be able to mourn with them as they're mourning or grieve with them or pray with them while they're praying? That is the goal of what it means to be a Christ follower, to identify with them. What if you found out a good moment was happening in their life? What if you found out they were, they, you know, they were getting remarried, you know? And you, could you rejoice with them that they were going to get remarried? Stephen, this is almost impossible stuff. You don't know that, what that person's done. Listen, I'm talking about stuff that you can only do on the strength of God. But the question is, could you identify with them in such a way as if they were mourning, you could come alongside them and mourn, them, mourn with them. If, if, they were, if they were rejoicing, you could come alongside and rejoice with them. Well, Stephen, what if they, what if they, uh, what if they did something so bad to me they, they molested me. They abused me. I, I know I'm not really ever supposed to have. I, I don't, I, it would be wrong for me to ever have contact with them again. What if, you, what if you could still bless them from afar? Have you ever thought about such a thing? I'm just throwing out some ideas here this morning. But have you ever thought about blessing them from afar? Have you ever thought about sending an anonymous gift, putting it in the mail? Are you kidding me? Yeah, just go with me here for a minute, okay? Have you ever thought about sending an anonymous gift, putting it in the mail, and just mailing it, and then standing back and saying, I don't know what's going to happen, God, but today I am I'm doing this thing right here. I'm forgiving them, I'm letting them go, and I'm actually trying to bless them. Bless them. Forgiveness, identification, and association. See, this is, this is how radical this teaching is, the teaching of Jesus, teaching of Paul here. The idea is here that we would be able to live in heart. Read that scripture. Live in harmony with one another. Harmony, I'm a musician. Those of you who are music, musicians, you're going to get this. Harmony is when you have one melody, let's just do it like this. One melody is going like this. And you know what a harmony does? A harmony comes alongside and just does it right with them, but just in a little way. It's, it's together, all right? Harmony is this thing where you're together. Have you ever, here's paradigm shifting for you. Have you ever thought that 
that Jesus coming from the Father knew the sin of the world, knew the rebellion on people's hearts, but yet he went to weddings and he associated with us even though he had every reason to hate us. You ever thought about that before? I mean, he could have hated us, but you know what he did? He rejoiced with people when they were having their weddings. And when people were sick, he would go and he would cry over them. and He would, he would mourn over their loss if they had a death. He, he was living in harmony with us even though we as sinners in a, in a, in a global fallen world we were at odds with the Father. And yet, you know what he's doing? He's doing Romans chapter 12, long before Romans chapter 12 is ever written. He's, he's mourning with us when we mourn. He's rejoicing with us when we rejoice. And he's living in harmony with us. Why? Because he is after blessing us. We sang that song a few minutes ago, right? Our God loves us. He is for us. Jesus is wanting to bless the world, and he comes alongside, living in harmony. This first step is the positive command. Bless those who persecute you. Flip that outline over. Let's talk about the negative command for a minute, all right? Here's the negative command. Do not take your own revenge. Write that in there, okay? Do not take your own revenge. Now, here's what you got to learn from that. Uh, Paul's, Paul's talking to these people in Rome, and he's telling them basically this, and I put it as the first bullet point. Personal retaliation by anybody who considers themselves a son or a daughter of God is strictly prohibited. It's not even a response you can come back to. Now, for me, guys, this was paradigm shifting because I grew up in a home. I'm just going to confess it. I grew up in a home where I was taught to keep grudges. I was taught when somebody does something to you, you get them back. All right? And I'm just being honest. That's the home I would, my, my, my mama and daddy taught me that. All right? And so I lived that way. And by the way, I kind of enjoyed it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know what it's like when somebody does wrong to you for you. I, listen, I remember playing football. One time uh, I was playing defensive and offensive lineman. <laughs> he had his hand down the ground. And, uh, and the first thing he did when I, came up to, when I came up to try to go around him, he threw dirt right through my face mask, right in my eyes, blinded me, and then toasted me. I mean, he was hitting me, and I couldn't see anything. What do you think happened when I got that dirt out of my eyes, right? I was looking forward to my little revenge payback. That's the way I lived life for a long, long time, revenge. As a matter of fact, I used to have a little phrase, and I'm only telling you this so you can get a picture of me. Don't you use this phrase, all right? Don't you use this. Don't you come to church and say, I learned that at church. No, 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 you didn't. All right? Here was my little phrase, and I'm just telling the truth. Here was my phrase. I don't get even. I get ahead. See, revenge, I'm telling you, I, I used to say that all the time. I was so far away from the biblical concept of what I'm teaching today. I don't get even. I get ahead. That means I'm, I'm keeping, I'm counting them up. And you ain't going to be able to do one up on me. I'm going to do one up on you. That is so far from Jesus. So far from Jesus. The negative command. Do not take revenge. If you're a child of the king, you do not. You're prohibited. Why? Look at this real quickly. Two compelling reasons. The first one is this. It usurps God's role as judge. Whenever you take revenge, you're trying to take God's place as the judge. And, and this is wrong because he's the judge. And so what we really need to do, here's, here's how you do it. When you feel like you want to take revenge, when you feel like you want to bring the pain because somebody's done wrong to you, what you need to do, I almost wish I had David's little ball. I mean, I'm sorry, the elf's ball. Um, uh, you, you, you just need to take all that judgment, all that anger, and all that resentment, just take it all and bowl it up like a ball. And you, you got to throw that thing to God. 
You got, God, here's how you do it. You throw him the ball and you say, you're the judge. I'm not the judge. It's not my, I'm not the judge. You're the judge. I need to let you be judged because here's what I know. You can see what I can't see. You're not bound by time like I'm bound by time. You're a good God, and sometimes I don't feel so good. I'm not God. You are. I'm going to toss you this, all my judgment, all my feelings, all my anger, all my bitterness. I'm going to toss that stuff to you, and I'm going to let you take care of it, all right? Now, the biblical, the biblical message right out of Romans 12 was God said, listen, I will, I will repay. I'll take, I'll, I'll take action. It's not your job. Your job is you don't, you don't do that. You don't take revenge. And here's the second reason it's such a compelling thing that we, we never, ever take revenge on somebody. It, it's an ineffective method of bringing about peace. It's an ineffective, write that down. It's an ineffective method of bringing about peace. When you, this, this works on several levels. When you take revenge, if you were to take revenge, guess what they want to do? They want to take Revenge, right? That didn't bring about peace at all, did it? But here's, more importantly, whenever you take revenge, you've been the judge, all right? And you still don't have peace in your heart. You know this already. You've, you've been there before. You don't have peace in your heart. You might feel a little vindicated, but you really don't have peace. So here's what you got to do. When somebody does wrong you with this negative command, do not take revenge, what you got to do is you got to release one of my mentors used to say it this way. He says, instead of rehearsing your hurts, you release your hurts and you trust them to God. I know a lot of people who rehearse their hurts all the time. They'll tell, if you'll stop, they'll tell you about their hurts. They love talking about their hurts. By the way, have you been on Facebook lately? You know what Facebook's full of? People just rehearsing their hurts, all right? They rehearse them, rehearse them, rehearse them. Anybody who'll listen, they'll put them on Facebook. That's just the truth. And you know what people do? They come alongside them. <laughs> that happened to me too. They'll rehearse their hurts right back in their comment section, you know. And, and here's what God has called us to do. Not rehearse our, our hurts. Not rehearse them over and over again and retell them over. He's called us to release our hurts. And how we, how we do that? We don't take revenge. We toss that ball of judgment to God. You're the judge. You see everything. You're good. I'm not. And, and, and you know, it will never bring about peace. Now, before I leave this point, I, I want you to get the picture. What if, dream with me for a minute here, right? What if every Christian in the world got this? <laughs> what if every Christian just got these, the positive and the negative command, all right? To walk through the idea of blessing, which involves forgiveness, identification, and association. What if, they, what if every Christian, when somebody did them wrong, they were blessing others. And when somebody, when they felt like, doing bad back to somebody, they never did revenge. Can you get this picture? Total companies would change. The employers would look at the Christians and see what they do. And here's the kind of thing they'd say, you know, Bob, I, I, Bob is a blessing to this company. I don't know what it is about Bob. He's no drama. I mean, he, he never does anything. He, he just helps the whole place go smoother. I don't know what it is about Bob, but Bob never has a bad word about somebody. Bob just Something about Bob is different. Bob, to me, is the ideal employee. If I could put somebody forward, that's who, why? Because Bob's doing it Jesus' way. And if the whole world, you realize how the whole world would change? If every Christian did this, they would, we would see it in our companies. We would see it in our schools. All of a sudden, the people of God would stop uh, feeling bad thoughts and bad intentions towards the people who did them wrong. 
They were actually forgiving and they were blessing and they were doing good. And beyond that, they were never taking revenge. Do you see the kingdom paradigm here? That people would see the children of God as the light of God shining in a dark, dark world. So where do we go here? If we do that step, if we bless those who persecute us, and if we never take revenge, right, the negative command, write this one down. There's a supernatural result. Supernatural result is that we will overcome evil with good. We will overcome evil. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm sitting in church today, and I want to overcome. I think we've got plenty of evil in our world, right? Don't you? I want to see evil push back. I want to see evil overcome. I want to see Satan's forces push back, right? So what do we have to do to do that? We overcome evil with good. It's a supernatural result. So what does that even look like? i got to go back and read it. The Bible says this. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, really, (laughs) feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. Really? Yes. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I got to that whole burning coals thing, and I'm, I'm going to come down here to show you this, right? Because when I, was, when I was a young Christian, I misunderstood the burning coals thing, all right? The burning coals thing to me was about, man, that was, if I do good to them, it's going to be like, whoa, you know, I'll take off their head or something. You know, I was like, wow, that's good stuff. Or I thought this one, the shock factor. I used, to, I used to interpret that scripture based on the shock factor. Man, if you do good to them when they're expecting you to do bad to them, it'll be like almost like fiery coals in their head. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa. You know, and they'll, they'll, they'll be open to it, right? They'll be like, wow, and they'll see the difference in you. I used to, but then I understood it differently. I finally did a little research. By the way, research helps, okay? I did a little bit of research, and I found out, by the way, I brought some coal this morning. Actually, I'm going to be honest, it's not really coal. Coal's very hard to buy, <laughs> but I bought, I bought some charcoal, okay? Uh, but it's kind of like coal. So um, here's a picture of coal. Fred, I'm going to give you one. Sandy. Kathy. There you go. Can't even see it. There you go. Hold that coal for me for a minute. I want you to look at it. Here's the idea, coal. When Paul was saying this, when Paul was saying that you would heap burning coals on their head. He was talking in a culture different from ours, okay? Now, in their culture, they understood it. It didn't even need to be explained. But people that are living centuries and millennia later like us, we don't know the reference. In their day and age, it was common. It was a common custom. It actually first happened in Egypt, and then it spread throughout other civilizations all around the world. It was a common thing when somebody had done something wrong to another person, when they had offended them, when they had hurt them, when they had wounded them, and then their their eyes were open to what the pain they had brought. They would, they would do this custom, and it, was, it was, happened all over the place. They would build a fire with hot coals, all right? And then they would take a pot. Picture a frying pan or a big pot. And they would take that pot, and once the fire was really hot, they'd take all those burning coals, they'd put it in the pot. Then they would put a towel, a wet towel, on their head, and then they'd put the pot on top of their head. Now, picture this pot filled with burning coals on a wet towel on your head, and you're holding it above your head, and the smoke is coming out of it, and then what they would do is they would walk through all the streets of the village. They just walked. And as they walked through the streets of the village, two things, the reason they did this were twofold. The first one was they were saying to the rest of the village, I've done wrong, and I'm admitting that I've done wrong, 
and, I, and, and if I had an odds with you and you, you hold anything against me today, I want, you to, I want to show you that I'm, I've, I've done wrong. And the second thing was, I'm trying to burn these bad thoughts, these bad things that I've done out of my mind. And they would, they would just walk throughout the streets. And people would see that as a kind of a way of understanding metaphorically or physically repentance, okay? They're saying they're sorry for what they did. And people would welcome them back in and give them another chance out of, after, the, after the hurt and the pain they'd caused. But we get this picture of this, this pot on top of our heads, kind of this idea of metanoia. My mind has changed. My, my, my eyes were opened. I had done somebody wrong, and now I realize what I've done wrong, and I am saying, I'm sorry. My mind has changed. Burn these bad thoughts out of my head. This is a picture of that cult. Now, when Paul was saying it, he was saying, if you will do this, if you will feed them when they're hungry, if you will give them something to drink when they're thirsty, if you will do this to them, in so doing, you will heap burning coals of fire on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What he was saying was not something that was totally new. The truth of the matter is that whenever this has happened before, where people did good to somebody else, it gave them a chance to let the change happen in that person. Classic point. I don't have time to read it today, but maybe write in your notes. 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. You'll remember the story of David. Uh, David, who had been anointed as the new king or the coming king of Israel, was on the run being pursued by the present king of Israel, a guy by the name of Saul. And, and Saul is after him. He's searching for David with his army. David's got a group of mighty men, but David doesn't have an army. Army. David is on the run, and da- here's the deal. David is trying to just be a good man. He's trying not to hurt the king. He's trying not to kill the king. He's trying not to put his hand on God's anointed, who is the king. And so David literally is just running from spot to spot, not trying to fight. He's just trying to stay alive. And, and you remember this story, 1 Samuel chapter 24, Saul actually comes into a cave. The Bible says he has to go to the restroom, so he's going to relieve himself in the cave. And David is actually hiding with his mighty men in the back of the cave. And Saul comes into the front of the cave. He's using the restroom, and Saul's mighty men are like, this is your moment, David. Take him out. Take him out. Kill him. I mean, he's been, he's been after us for, for, for a long time. This is your moment. Kill him. And David does not do it. In that moment, what he does is he sneaks up to Saul. You remember this story, right? He sneaks up to Saul. Saul is literally using the restroom. And David, talk about courage. Talk about being a man's man. This is, whoa. you know, he, he goes up to the, uh, to the back of him. He cuts a little part of his cloak off, a little part of his kingly garment. He cuts it off. And he retreats back to the back of the cave. When Saul's done, Saul heads out of the front of the cave, joined back with his army. And when he does, David stands right out to the front of the cave and holds up the cloth he cut off. And you remember what David says. David says, listen, you've been after me. You have, you have wanted to do evil to me, and I have only ever wanted to do good to you. Basically, he says this. He says, may God be our judge. I'm going to read the, just a portion of the Scripture in just a minute. But he says, may God be our judge. And you tell me. This is literally what he says. You tell me. Who is more righteous, me or you? I hold in my hand the garment where I could have taken your life. I just cut your robe off. Look down by your side. You see where I cut your robe off? I could have taken your life, but I didn't because I only want good for you, and you want evil for me. And he says, may God be our judge. I just got to read this to you real quickly. Watch this. Uh, 1 Samuel. Oh, I meant that market. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I forgot to ask them to do that. But if you've got your Bible, or, or you can just listen in here. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Listen. He's, uh, 
David's words, verse 14. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be, this is David talking, may the Lord be our judge. He's not taking revenge. He's saying God's our judge. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. He is not willing to take action against Saul. But watch what happened. Verse 16. Here's coals on this head, right? Watch this. Verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? Most important words in the whole chapter. And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. If you could get what I'm talking about here today, what Paul is saying is, if we can bless those who persecute us, if we can forgive them and do actual good to them, and if we will never repay evil with our own revenge, a supernatural result will happen when we do good to those who've done bad to us. And you can see it right in Saul. Saul isn't angry. Saul doesn't look at his men and go, hey guys, attack the cave. Something happens in this moment, like the keeping burning coals and repentance happens in Saul's heart. And the Bible says he starts to weep when he realizes he has done bad to somebody. And yet they have still done good back to him. So here, here's, here's what's happening. What if today, you know, at the very beginning of this message, I asked you to hold a person in your mind, a person who had wounded you and hurt you the most. Maybe that was a person in your family. Maybe that was a friend that walked out on you. Maybe that was a person who stole money from you or left you. Whatever that is. I ask you to hold that person in your mind. What if today, what if today you did three things? You made a decision, irregardless of feelings. You made a decision that you were going to release that person. You were going to forgive them. What if you made that decision today? And what if you walked out of here this, this, today and then this week when the feelings came back, when you felt like you know, all of a sudden the feelings rushed back and confronted your decision, what if you began to pray for them? What if you began to pray for them, that God would bless them? And what if you tried to move yourself into not just a place of prayer, but then that third thing was you said, God, how can I bless them? I need to bless them. I want my reward. You said that I'd be like my, my Father in heaven if I did it your way. I want my reward. I want to bless them. How, and you, you began to look actively at how you could bless the person who has hurt you. See, here's what I'm driving at here, guys. You might want to even write this down. God wants you to love your enemies for your good. Did you hear that? God wants you to love your enemies for your good and for his glory. Now put your mind and your heart around that for a minute. What if there was a person in your life that you just you still struggled with them? Because of the deep pain they cause you. Could you hear the good news in Jesus Christ today? That Jesus wants you to love your enemies for your good. For your good. And for his glory. That the world would see 
the children of Jesus, letting Jesus live the way he did through us. You can't do this by yourself. You can't. But you came to church today to pray a bold prayer. And that prayer is simply this. Jesus, I want you to live your life through me. I'll mess it up. But you can come in and you can do what I can't do. Would you help me today, Jesus? So here's what we're going to do. Sometimes in church, we, we invite you to respond in a way physically so that you can kind of connect in with the, with, the, with the word, the seed God's planting you today. And so what we did was we just have some, some coal up here today, okay? And I'm going to invite you, just to, I'm just ask Chris to play for a few I'm going to invite you to come over here to get a piece of coal and to just look at it. And I want you to think of what you could do in making a decision, in praying for somebody, and then saying, God, how might I even bless that person? And in so doing, I would pray that, I would pray that their heart would change, their mind would change for the pain they've caused. I want good to be done to them. I want to do it your way. And then I just wonder if you'd pray for that person today. Or maybe your step is today, today, before you get back in your car, today you make the decision. Today you say, nothing to do with my feelings. Today I forgive them. Today I let them go. I'm not going to hold or cling to any rights of my own. I'm going to let them go. Or maybe you would hold that coal in your hand, and here's where you've been. You've already made a decision. And you already prayed for them already, but you've not quite gotten to that complete place of done yet, that forgiveness place. What if today you just held it in your hand and say, okay, God, open my mind. I'm trying to forgive them. I've been on a process here for a long time. Tell me what I can do to bless them. And he might not say, okay, they're hungry, go feed them. And he might not say, okay, they're thirsty, go give them something to drink. Maybe he would open up your mind. It's time you wrote a letter. Maybe you need to go visit with them. Maybe you need to just send an anonymous gift in the mail to them. What is the thing that you could do for them? And I just want you to hold that before God. And when you're done praying, I just want to invite you to come and take that coal and put it at the foot of the cross as a symbolic gesture of your desire to be like your Father in heaven. That you would be a person who blesses those who persecute you. And you'd be a person who never takes revenge because you're a child of the King. Well, the altar's open. The coal is here. Come grab a coal and have a God conversation. Maybe here on bended knee or right here at the altar. And then place that at the foot of the cross, if you will. Come on. Come on. There you go. Amen.
life, this is what we want in us. And Lord, we thank you that today we've been reminded that this really is the better way to live. This really is the path to peace. This is the path to joy, and it's, it's the path to letting you live through us. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us walk in this Romans 12 life, that we walk in an, a place of surrender, and a place of separation, and up from the world, a, a place of sober judgment over on our lives, a place of service, and a place of supernaturally responding to evil, and never letting ourselves be overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. Thank you, Jesus. We just invite you to live your life through us. Help us to be children of our Father. Help us to have the attitude and the mindset that we are we're children of the King. We're to live your way. And I pray, Jesus, you give, a, give us power and strength, Holy Spirit, to do that. And Lord, in the next few minutes, as we sow into your kingdom gain and your kingdom advance on planet Earth, we're just reminded that, God, we've been called to be generous stewards of all that you've blessed us with. And you have blessed us mightily. So, Lord, today, with overflowing hearts of gratitude, we give to your glory. And we ask you to take our gifts and multiply them for your kingdom gain. That, Lord, just as you taught us to pray, that the kingdom of heaven would come upon the earth, Lord, and your will would be done here. This is our prayer, Lord. We give to your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.